Thank you, Cortez. Good morning, church, and happy Easter to you. Happy snowy Easter. I'm not sure the last time we did this. Uh, we don't have to do it every year, though. That would be fine with me, uh, but it is beautiful outside. Uh, just a few schedule announcements. We'll have a prayer together, uh, a few things to make you aware of. First of all, just to let you know, we are going to do a children's message today. And uh, so after the offertory and before the sermon, we're going to have a children's message uh, down here in the front. So kids, you can just get ready. Not yet, but just, you know, get ready. A um, couple things on the calendar I, I do want to mention. Uh, this Wednesday is our last Wednesday night live on the 4th. And we're uh, going to be having a carnival theme. It's going to be lots of fun. would encourage you to come and attend that. Also, next Sunday... Um, as you know, we are, are in a discussion on should we rebrand, and our um, strategy on creating communication around that has been threefold. One is the, the bulletin discussion, two has been in Sunday school classes, and, uh, and then three, we want to create a time just where everyone can come together and we'll have some kind of guided table discussion. So next Sunday, after church, we're going to have a light lunch uh, of soup and bread, and uh, we're just going to have some discussion around the table this is not me talking at you or anything like that that's this is you talking to one another and just hearing each other out so that is going to be next sunday and everyone is encouraged and invited to attend that the other thing too um do just want to extend condolences to to ken and to his family uh as many of you may know ken's brother dale regeer passed away this last week and so funeral is going to be on tuesday at 11 a.m at Countryside Bible Church. So, did I get all that right? We're good. Okay. Let's have a time of prayer, and then we'll have the offering.
Heavenly Father, Easter is such a special time. Lord, this is the day when we remember and when we celebrate that you conquered death, that you conquered the grave, that you rose again. Because of your work on the cross, we have the opportunity of life with you for eternity, but also the gift of your presence here on earth. And so, Lord, we are so very thankful for this day, for what it represents, for what it means, for what we get to celebrate, for what you did for us, for your grace, for your mercy, Lord, that you came and pursued us. Lord, I pray for everyone here. I pray that they would experience you in wonderful ways this week and that we would be reminded continuously of your grace and your mercy and what you did on Easter. We love you, Lord. Amen. Ushers. Thank you, gentlemen. 
All right, kids, come on up. Good morning. Were you guys a little surprised to wake up and see snow on the ground? Yeah. yeah, me too. I thought it might be an April Fool's joke, but it was real. What other special day is it today? It's Easter, yes. And sometimes we call this day Resurrection Day. Does anybody know anything about the resurrection or what resurrection is? What do you think? Yes, it's when Jesus rose up from the dead. You're exactly right. And in the Bible, everything in the Old Testament and the New Testament is pointing towards this special day, building up to this very special moment. God had a plan, right? And that was for his son to die on the cross and then rise again. Um, it's the moment when Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice for us. So today, I brought a big bag, and in my bag is some balloons, and it's going to help us demonstrate what the resurrection is all about. So I'm going to hand this mic to Luke. Would you hold this thing? Okay. All right. Luke's going to tell us what these balloons represent. All right. So we're going to let that first balloon over there represent Jesus. Okay. And then the second balloon, this one over here, represents us. Now, Joanne is going to put a garbage bag on it. Now, watch what happens when we do that. Hopefully, watch what happens. It works. Okay. <laughs> so the garbage bag, why, why did we do that? What just happened? Yeah, it didn't go up, did it? Because we sinned. You read my notes. That's so adorable. <laughs> How does sin sometimes make us feel? Exactly. Hopefully it doesn't pop us. We feel weighted down. We feel heavy. Yeah. Now the good news is, though, is that we have a Savior, right, Jesus. And so on, after he rose from the dead, then he was, he was here on earth for 40 days. And then what happened? Do you guys remember what happened? He, 
you went all the way up in the sky. So hang on to one end, but you can let go of the balloon. But hang on to one end. There we are. All right. Good job. Now you hang on to that end. Oh, but wait. It's not going up, is it? No, because we have this sin kind of weighing us down. So what's the good news? That's right. So what happens then when Jesus takes away our sin? All right, good. Hang on to that end. Okay, but you hang on to that end. There we are. Oh. That was, if that pops, don't read too much into that. Yeah. So the good news is that one, not only when we die, we can, go be, we can go be with Jesus, but that he frees us from our sin and that he can come and live within us. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about that day when we get to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. So we're going to, at the end of our service today, we are going to um, have a whole bunch of balloons. How many of you uh, wrote a message and tied it to a balloon this morning? You did. All right. So this, um, our ushers have taken those balloons, and they're going to take them in the back. And at the end of our service, we're going to all grab a balloon, and we're going to go outside, and we're going to let those balloons go, and we're going to spread the Easter message all over Nebraska and maybe to some other states. Willow and Walker's dad told me a story this morning about his aunt who got married in Wyoming, they had a balloon release, and they found the balloon in Texas. So maybe these balloons will go to another state and tell somebody about the message of Easter, which is that Jesus rose and that he loves us, and maybe to another country. We don't know. Who knows? That would be pretty hopeful. Yeah. So when we, when we let those balloons go, we are, we're going to say Jesus is risen, and we're going to celebrate what he did for us today, okay? Okay, you guys can go back to your seats now. So as Joe said, we're going to do a balloon release after the service. We've done a couple test runs and been watching the weather, and hopefully this goes really well. Um, but yeah, so uh, several of you uh, maybe uh, wrote out something on the cards this morning during breakfast, and uh, what we're, it, it'll be an experiment, but what we're going to do is we're just going to exit out the back all together. The ushers will hand out balloons. We'll do a one, two, three count, and we'll, uh, we'll let them go, and then we'll just come right back in because it'll probably be cold. So um, we're going to try that after the service. There's something very powerful uh, about location. Location invokes certain memories. Sometimes uh, if it's, it's a famous place or something significant happened there in history, it, it, it inspires this sense of awe. Sometimes uh, it can produce fear, de depending on the situation. Um, but there's, just, there's something powerful about location, especially if that location has a memory for you. Uh, some of you are visiting. You grew up in this church. 
And so when you drive back into town, when you drive back onto the parents' yard, when you come back into this church that you grew up in, the sights, the sounds, the smells, they say smell is one of the strongest triggers of memory. But there's just something deeply powerful about location. I, we have a friend who, who did Trek, and, and she got married, and she's now living in London, and I'm, I'm fed up with all her Facebook and Instagram posts because every time she just posts some picture of her in some awesome location that I would love to go and visit and that kind of thing. And a while ago, she had a, a, a post of some, some beer hall in, in Germany, and uh, she, had, she had put in, in the tag, so this place was, was built like in the 16th century, but that room, 98 years ago to that day, Hitler launches the 25-point program for the Nazi party. So that was, that was kind of what he had rolled out. And so that, that had happened in that room almost a century ago. So it's just, it's amazing the power of location. I know for me, going back to different places where I've lived, whether it's going back to my hometown of Mitchell, uh, the first time I returned to Abbotsford, uh, returning to Tabor College or Philmont or that kind of thing. Just those first few moments, your, your heart just kind of pounds a little bit harder when you come into a location. Location has power, and it seems that Jesus intentionally uses location and setting to convey a message, and particularly a message about grace. The word anthrakia is only found two places in Scripture. Both of those instances occur in the Gospel of John. The first appears when Peter denies Jesus three times. He is, Jesus has been arrested. He's taken before officials. Peter sneaks in to watch. It's cold, and someone starts a anthrakia, a charcoal fire. There, by that fire, Peter denies Jesus three times. Later on in the book of John, several days later, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's already appeared to several people. Some of the disciples are, are, are fishing Jesus appears, he hollers at him from the boat, Peter recognizes that it's Jesus, he swims to shore, and Jesus has built an anthrakia, a charcoal fire. And by this fire, Jesus will ask Peter three times, do you love me? And by this fire, Jesus will extend to Peter incredible mercy and grace and forgiveness and very much gives Peter a notable pastoral role. The first place that it happens, I am in John 18, uh, verses 15 to 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since uh, Jesus has already been arrested, he, he's being brought in uh, for trial. Some of the disciples are following him. Uh, let me just start again. Simon Peter followed Jesus, so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and, oh, okay, uh, let me skip ahead then down verse to 25. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Now the servants and officers who had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, 
You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it. He said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. All four Gospels record Peter's denial in some capacity. It's interesting, actually, in the book of Mark, Mark records that Peter was warned, it's actually before the rooster crows twice that you will deny me three times. And if you look at the account, you, he, you see that he denies him once, and then the rooster crows once, and then he denies him twice more, and then the rooster crows. And it's almost like the first rooster was kind of like a warning, like, hey, buddy, slow it down, like, like remember, you would be warned this, this would happen. And instead, Peter just charges right ahead and keeps right on going. And if that isn't a great metaphor for sin at times, I don't know what is. But in John's account, Jesus is first brought to the home of Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest that year. It's a private courtyard. You needed to be known to get in. This other disciple, we don't know who it was. He, he, he remains unnamed, but he was known to the family. He was able to get in, but Peter not. So he has to go back and, you know, vouch for this guy so, so that, that Peter can get in. And, uh, you know, Scripture doesn't really say it, but as I, as I was reading this and reflecting on it, I kind of got the feeling that they sort of snuck in. Like, they really weren't supposed to be there. Like, that, that, you know, and had it been found out that they were both disciples of Jesus, that they wouldn't have been allowed in, or something bad would have happened, or, or something like that. But, but it, to me, it kind of feels like they, they kind of snuck into a place that they weren't really invited to. But Peter is too, he's too recognizable. That first girl, right away, aren't you one of his disciples? Later on, another servant girl, hey, weren't you with them too? Another guy who was there in the garden and saw his relative's ear got cut off by Peter. Even just picked, I mean, a couple of them even just picked up on his Galilean accent. They're like, weren't you one of them? Peter's just too recognizable. During this time, Jesus is being questioned. The law requires that you have at least two witnesses with matching testimony. They can't find any. Eventually, they find two people that agree that Jesus had said he'd tear down the, the temple and rebuild it in three days. And I'm not sure if that's really a statement worth death sentence. Finally, in exasperation... Um, the high priest says to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus had been silent this whole time. And finally he says, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then that's enough to keep things rolling. It's almost like Jesus had to step in and help this kangaroo court. Because it just wasn't moving forward on its own. People in the crowd start to spit on Jesus. They start to beat him. I don't know if Peter feared the beatings. I don't know if he feared the high priest. I don't know if, if he was just so in this mindset of trying to keep a low profile and not getting found out and he didn't want to blow his cover for, for sneaking in. I don't know. But whatever the motivation or the thinking behind this, Peter at the moment thinks it's best to avoid association and in doing so, repeatedly, he denies the one that he loves. 
And when he realizes what he has done, it says he wept. And actually, Matthew records that he went out and he wept bitterly. I don't know the last time that you've done something that you really, really regretted. But I mean, there are times where like you, you, you don't even hate the action like you just hate yourself. Like you just see yourself as trash. You loathe what you've done. You loathe who you are. And you just want to like shrivel up into this ball and disappear from existence. Then there is this second recording of Anthrakia. John 21. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have some breakfast. Now none of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread, he gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. What do you do when everything seems to be falling apart? We've jumped ahead in the story a little bit. Remember that Peter and the disciples had a hard time grasping that, that Jesus would die. I mean, he told them several times, but like it just didn't register. And then he dies, and their world falls apart, and they scatter, and they're hiding out, and they don't know what to do. Like, what do you do when your world falls apart? When you've been fired. When your marriage is failing. When your kids are in crisis. When disease is wrecking your family. Or like Peter and the disciples, the leader that you thought would usher in this new political era and you've given three years of your life to following him and learning his ways, and then suddenly he ups and dies? You would probably do what any of the rest of us would do, and that is that you return to what you know best. For Peter and the others, they return fishing. I think that's very significant. I would encourage you, don't miss the significance of that. Based on, on, on the fact that, that you know, Jesus had died and they weren't expecting that and their return to fishing and, and even the ensuing conversation that, that's going to happen. I think Peter is really struggling with just what to do next in life. Everything that he thought would be didn't. Everything he thought he was wasn't. He isn't. He failed at. So now what? I think Peter is struggling with what to do next in life, and return to fishing seems a viable option to him. I find great significance that they they went fishing. On the setup from this, they they were out fishing. Jesus appears. He calls to them from shore. says, have you caught anything? They said, no, we've not caught anything. He says, let down your nets on the other side of the boat. Hey, I'm not a fisherman, but that sounds like lame advice. Like, how wide is a boat? Like, I mean, and are the fish really, like, three feet apart in massive huddles? Like, I'm not a fisherman. I, that sounds so, 
for a professional fisherman, that just must have sounded ludicrous. Okay. And they catch fish. They catch a lot of fish. We are told they are large fish, and we're told there's 153 of them. Not 152, not 154, 153. It's like someone counted. They get ashore. Peter leaves them in the boat to do all the hard work. He swims to shore. They come ashore. And Simon asks Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, we're never told what these are. Some people have speculated other disciples, but that feels kind of like a weird conversation. Given the fact that we've just heard so much about fishing and that they're large fish and that there's 153 of them, I think Jesus pointed to the fish and said, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Remember, Peter is struggling with what to do next in life. And so in doing so, Jesus is asking, do you love me more than your previous life? Do you love me more than your career that you have known for your entire life? That thing that you're really good at and that you were doing well? Do you love me more than, than being a farmer? Do you love me more than be, being a teacher or an accountant? Do you love me more than the tractors and the combines and the dirt and the soil? Do you love me more than your advancement and your career at work? Do you love me more than living close to your family? All that you have known in your life, do you love me more than that? The, this passage is a rich one. But there's some added depth and, and even drama that is conveyed in the Greek that kind of it's, it's a little bit tough to follow in English. Uh, they, they try, but, but it is a little bit harder. Um, first is that there are actually different Greek words for the word love that get used in the conversation between Jesus and Peter. And secondly, there are different Greek words that get used for the word no in, in, in the conversation between the two of them. Um, in, in the conversation that goes back and forth, Jesus asks Simon Peter if he loves him unconditionally, if he agape loves him. And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I, I love you, but it, it's the word uh, phileo. It's more of a brotherly love. And some would consider it actually more of a lesser love. Also, the word for know, the, the first two references would refer to more of a head knowledge, but the third one is that something you've learned through experience. So, so if I were to kind of interject those definitions, the conversation would almost sound more like this. Simon, son of John, do you unconditionally love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, but it's, it's like more of a lower brotherly love. Then feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you unconditionally love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you with a brotherly love. And tend my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me with a brotherly love? And this is the question that grieves Peter. Lord, you know everything, and you know from experience that really I only love you with a brotherly love. Then feed my sheep. 
at the Last Supper, Peter vowed that he loved Jesus unconditionally, but in the courtyard, he showed that, honestly, he just wasn't there. That he still loved him, but really it's more of a lesser love. And Jesus is bringing this up. He's saying, Simon, do you love me unconditionally like you said you did? And Peter is humbled, and he's saying, Lord, you knew this beforehand, and then you found out through experience that I'm just not there yet, and that I just really... I guess I really only love you like a brother and not yet unconditionally. And Jesus goes right to the heart of this issue. issue. I think Jesus is addressing Peter's shortcomings and yet still giving him a task to do. Peter isn't perfect and Jesus is speaking to that. And every time he's saying, I have a role for you. Friends, Jesus knows your shortcomings better than you, actually. Like, you think you know them well, but, like, he really knows them. They're probably more vast than you and I realize. He knows your failures before you've even committed them, and he still has roles for all of us. You know, every so often in the news, you hear of some highly influential spiritual leader who does some bad sin. He gets into gambling or drinking or he has an affair or that kind of thing. What's amazing is that God knew all those events would happen. And yet a few decades earlier, God still calls that person into ministry. Isn't that kind of interesting? I mean, why not just pre-filter out the wonky ones, right? Like, just stick with the perfect ones? Maybe there aren't any. I don't know. But it's just interesting that Jesus knows this shortcoming is going to happen down the road, and yet he still calls that person beforehand. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that Peter would betray him. He knew that all the 12 of his disciples would run away at this critical hour. And yet, Judas, Peter, all 12 are called to be his disciples. And despite Peter's sin, despite his error, he's not cast out, he's not fired, he's not rejected. There's repentance, there's forgiveness. Peter still loves Jesus, Jesus still loves Peter. And Peter is given a very significant role in the future of the church. Folks, we have all spent time by the first fire. Like, that is our home turf. Let's be honest. Every one of us have gone astray. We were born going astray. All of us are sinners. Sin is just something we are born with. We need no training. We need no teaching. It comes very naturally to us. Parents, you know. So, my youngest, last Wednesday, we're enjoying a great meal. It's the, the Wednesday night program. Levi is sitting next to Carla. Joanne is sitting across from him. We had these fantastic cookies. Levi's working on this cookie. He's just about done with it. And Joe kind of looks away, and she comes back. And he has a new cookie, and he is snarfing it down as fast as he can go. <laughs> and what had happened is he had got to the very end, and then he saw Carla still had a new cookie. <laughs> and he took his old one and slid it over. And then grabbed hers and just started whopping it down. <laughs> so 
We're born with sin. But the thing is that, like, it's funny when it's a cookie, but the problem is that we grow up, and now it becomes businesses and money and farmland and gossip and someone else's reputation and someone else's spouse. And we are still scheming and we are still coveting and still trying to take. It's just that the cookies have gotten a lot bigger. The first fire is home to us. We know it. It's normal. It's natural to us. The first fire is where we live selfishly. It's where we deny Christ. It's where we look out for our interests. It's where we try to be sneaky, but we aren't. And it's the place where everything that we swore we would never do, we do. And not just once, but three times over. But Jesus calls us to that second fire. A place that he has prepared a place where he serves us breakfast and nourishes us and refreshes us, a place where he confronts our sin honestly and truthfully, but yet in a, in a gentle way. There is remarkable forgiveness at the second fire. Now let, let me just interject here just a, a, a little bit. Some of you been, have been Christians for a long time. And so you get the forgiveness piece, but sometimes you still get frustrated because you say, why do I keep going back to the first fire? This morning we're talking about forgiveness. Healing from sin and freedom from repetition of sin. That's a different conversation. Those are different sermons. Those are different topics, all right? So healing from the sin and freedom from the repetition of sin like those are different those are different things and they often require just loving Christians walking alongside us for a while but the forgiveness the forgiveness is instantaneous and readily available and unexhaustible Jesus calls us to the second fire to find healing to find rest to find forgiveness to find acceptance and to find grace there's a cute little video here that, that I want to show you that uh, illustrates this well. Grace is God's unmerited favor to us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle to understand it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, you were cute. You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay. I was in the boat, and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice, and the voice said, cast your nets on the other side. And so I'm thinking, well, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there, and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net, and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up, and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, oh, you're not the Lord. I'm still alive. I can't believe you're alive. <laughs> this is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter. I love you, do everything, I love you, good. 
She kept getting closer. I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And I was going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty, and she said that the, there was an angel there, and the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he's risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there, and if John says he's the tomb, he's full of lying, all right? I beat him, that boy, I, all right, you know? So we get down there, and I'm looking at that tomb, and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John said, Peter said, go, Peter, this is everything Jesus said he was going to do. And he did it. It's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait. The angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. He's risen. Let's go. This he is said it. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. At the cross, Jesus made the unforgivable forgivable. You know, after Peter denied Jesus three times, Peter wept bitterly. But it was not his tears that got him forgiveness, that got him reinstated. Peter didn't earn his forgiveness with grief and sorrow. He didn't pay off a debt by crying through tears or hating himself hard enough or by punishing himself. None of that. The thing that Peter, that got Peter back into the game was Christ. His grace, his mercy, what he did on the cross. I'm going to invite the quartet to come on forward. As we sing this last song, I would invite you to come to the second fire. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe this is the 10,000th time that you've gone back and forth. But regardless, come to the fire. Come to that second fire. A final word on, on, on the balloons. Um, after we're done here, uh, we're going to invite all of you. We're just going to head right out the back. The ushers will, will hand out balloons until they're gone. Uh, once we're outside, I'll do a three count, and we'll yell out, Christ is risen, or simply applaud. We'll release the balloons, and then we'll come back inside. Um, and we do this to celebrate. We do this to remember. 
and maybe also by God's grace, someone will receive a word of truth or a word of encouragement that you wrote on a little card this morning. And maybe they too will come to the second fire. Heavenly Father, the grace that you extend us is hard to understand at times. And, um, but Lord, we accept that you made the unforgivable forgivable. And so, Father, this morning for each of us, Lord, we want to come to that second fire. Thank you so much. We love you, Lord. Amen. like a lamb to slaughter a sinless man 